Hey friends, Amanda here. If you've been hanging out with the She Reads Truth community recently, you know that we just launched our 2021 Lenten experience. This is our ninth year of opening our Bibles together during the Lent season to prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter Sunday. And this year, we are reading two books for the season of Lent. We have our Joshua and Mark study books that we are bundling together, and we're offering something that we've never offered before. Now, a lot of you observe Lent without screens or social media, and we love that. So this year, we have printed all of our She Reads Truth Lenten devotionals that would typically be posted on our app or online, and they still will be, but we've also bound them together into a devotional companion book. So you can get our companion devotional for Lent with your Joshua and Mark study books all together in our offline Lent experience bundle or with your She Reads Truth subscription box. So head to shopshereadstruth.com and use code POD15 for 15% off your Lent experience. That's P-O-D-1-5 for 15% off. Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams, and today we are opening the Book of Esther with our friend Vivian Mabuni. Vivian is a speaker, a Bible teacher. She served on the staff of Crew for three decades. She's on the Board of Trustees at Denver Seminary. She's a smart woman. We love talking about Scripture with her. Her most recent book is called Open Hands, Willing Heart, and she is the host of a new podcast called Someday is Here. We love the book of Esther, and we enjoyed talking to Vivian and just really trying to wrap our head around this remarkable story in Scripture that just has God's fingerprints all over it. So let's get started. I think you're going to love this. Vivian, when I think of you and I think of Esther there's like an automatic connection to me because is it fair to say like of all the Old Testament gals is she's like she's your person a little I bit. I love her. I love Esther. The story just there's so many layers to her story and it's kind of interesting. My dad, his background is in theater, so he used to produce the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. So oh, wow. I grew up watching, you know, performances and rehearsals and to me Esther reads like a really well-written like play. Oh, big time. It's got big time. all the components, you know. So yep, yeah, you can absolutely. hear people cheering and booing and yes. all of it. So I love how Esther's even laid out as a as one of the books in the Bible. It's full on like comedy, like LOL. And then yeah. like there's yeah. tragedy. There are a couple of parts where like, oh, oh yeah. And oh. then there's I mean like Burn. some of the like good like irony and foreshadowing. Like you said, like it's just got all those elements where you're like, oh, this is a great story. And yeah. it so happens to be true. Yeah. 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 It yeah. it's so well written. It's so compelling that I'm trying to think if this is a true statement before I say it, but I'll just say one of it's one of the books of the Bible that it's hard for me to remember that it's history. Because it feels like fiction. It feels like a really cool mm-hmm. play, yeah. Um, yeah. like you just said. And in fact, it feels so much like a play that once upon a time, for kids read truth, which is, you know, a part of our 
ministry here to equip kids with biblical literacy and a love for God and His Word. We did an Esther product, and it's like a paper doll set with like backgrounds. So oh, this was one of you... my favorite projects I've oh, ever this was, worked on. It, this was Rachel's baby <laughs> it was for my, a while. Like yeah. I just sat for like a month at my desk with like the book of Esther open and like pulling straight from scripture, making like the lines and there's animals and there's dress up for different parts of the show. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love it. I love it. Uh, because you're right, Vivian. Like it's such a play. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. We think the author is Mordecai. And so like, yep. way to go, Mordecai. Yeah, good job. He's got a future yep. in theater. Good job. I had forgotten Absolutely. that fact that we think, like we don't know, scripture right. doesn't mm-hmm. tell us who the author is, but based on like the detail yeah. and um, I don't know what else, but scholars believe that yeah. Mordecai, yeah. who if you don't know who Mordecai is, you're going to soon, um, mm-hmm. that he authored the book, which is even cooler. It makes it like yeah. even cooler in my yeah. opinion. What is it about Esther? Vivian, that connects you? Okay, so I think, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I didn't grow up with the Sunday school version and the flannel board and all of that. What I think I connect with Esther on is I think she often is portrayed as a fairy tale, like the story is a fairy tale and this is a beauty pageant and, you know, and even when I was doing research for the book, some of the Sunday school lessons actually were like, and then Esther read a story to the king and he fell in love with her. Like, right. so you know, yeah. kind of, the cleaned up version is not the real version. And so, yeah. so I think what compels me to Esther in particular is I'm not sure, we don't know for sure what age she became an orphan. We aren't entirely sure a lot about her background, who her parents were you know, the connection with Mordecai, like, we know that he took care of her. I mean, but it's not entirely clear. To me, she was different than other characters in the Old Testament, like Daniel and his friends. They they were, you know, in exile as well, Babylon. But they chose to honor the Lord. And Esther, on the first part of her story, is in secret. Yeah. We don't know entirely. So, you know, again, we're trying to draw some things, but I feel like Everything twists in Esther's life when she is willing to put it all out there. And, you know, if I perish, I perish. That, to me, is the secret of the Christian life. That, to Mm. me, communicates surrender. And I feel like that's what often is missing in our faith journey, is if we're going through the motions just to do Christian-y things, we aren't tapping into really that surrendered posture that allows the Holy Spirit to lead and teach and direct us. And that is where I find, you know, and everyone's spiritual journey is a little bit different, but Esther in particular, I just see something switched with her. And she began to live out who she was in the place that God had put her. And that's what I think is so great about her. Yeah. So here's what I want to tell our listeners as we like launch into this. I already know it's going to be a great conversation. If you, listener, have never read the book of Esther before, I'm so excited for you, first of all. (laughs) Um, You're going to love this. But also, um, make a decision now if you want to continue listening, because it's huge spoiler alert. We're going to talk about all the plot points, right? Um, Or if you want to read the book first and then come back and listen to the podcast episode. Reading the book of Esther takes about 30 minutes. So you can read it and then come back to the podcast episode Or um, you can read with the community every day this week and next and then listen to these episodes because we're going to spoil 
everything. We're going to mm-hmm. talk everything because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. But it's such a good story. I mean, mm-hmm. it's such a good story because you're right. She starts out, we get introduced to Hadassah. Um, that's mm-hmm. her Hebrew name. And she is an orphan. And her cousin Mordecai, um, not only in that chapter one, but also a couple times later in the book, it sort of alludes to his sort of leadership and care for her and mm-hmm. how she was very obedient to him. I mean, even, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Vivian that Esther didn't reveal her heritage, her nationality to anyone in the palace, yeah. but that was at Mordecai's instruction. She was very obedient to Mordecai from the beginning, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I really like that kind of quick summary that you gave, Vivian, because I've never really thought about it that way, thought about her having kind of a turning point. I think about the book of Esther having a lot of little like key. Mm-hmm pivots, and we call them reversals in our study book because there are so many. I mean, there's an extra in the study book that kind of lists out the reversals that happen in. So like the thing that is supposed to happen or that a person wants to happen or the way something is, and then like it flips, you know, and so, but I haven't really thought about that in her. But one of the reasons I like thinking about it that way is that I think it's a more realistic portrayal of her. It's so tempting for those, I think, especially for those of us who did grow up with the flannel graphs, to hold Bible characters up as heroes. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm not saying that there aren't heroic elements. I'm not saying that Esther was not brave. I think that she was. I don't think that's the point of the story. But I think it's inspiring to me when she said that line that you just quoted, yeah. if I perish, I perish. Yeah. You're just like, oh, man, like this is real life for her. Yeah. And that statement did not come lightly to her. Yeah. Um, and we'll see how that came about. But I really like acknowledging that she was a young woman. We don't Mm -hmm. know how young, like you said. She was kind of in, I mean, I'm kind of just working this out in my head. Tell me if you guys agree. I mean, she's kind of doing a little bit the opposite of like Daniel, Mm -hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, where she is hiding her Mm -hmm. heritage, where they were like, my heritage is my life and like my, you know, my place and God's people. And so I really like, to me, it's more powerful to remember that our Bible heroes are real people who are flawed and who are not perfect. And it's the power of the Lord and His drawing His people and His faithfulness. Like, Mm -hmm. that is what works in them, you know, to make them do things like say, if I perish, I perish. That's not a thing that we say in 2021. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. This is a hot take. Oh, good. Um, I have oh. opinions about this, like about mm-hmm. that conversation between Esther and Mordecai. I don't want to get ahead and get to that yet. Because I do have. <laughs> oh, I want to hear your opinions. Um, yes. But I, I feel like we have to like back up okay. and get to it. But I do yeah. have like, okay. I'm like, yes. And I don't know. Oh, good, good, good. So let's get back to yes. that. I, I okay. said we started by introducing <laughs> Esther, but that's not exactly true. We start with. King Ahasuerus. That's, I think, my best way to pronounce that. Yeah, he's, that's, in, I think in some translations, correct. he's King Xerxes, some Ahasuerus. Same person, Same everybody. Person. Yeah. Yes. Don't, and don't I, stress. I, okay, so true story. In my book, Open Hands, Willing Heart, which is loosely rooted in the book of Esther, yeah. I chose Xerxes because okay. that was easier to say. Honestly. Seriously, when I taped the audiobook, I had to like re say the name over Ahasuerus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. so I may just refer to him as Xerxes just for the sake of. 
So he's the king. And he, will, yes. he will be the king yeah. through the whole book. Yep. So it's mm-hmm. okay if we refer to him as the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we king. will all be <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it's the same guy. But we start, actually, chapter one is not about Esther. It's king. Mm-hmm. It's the king, King Ahasuerus. <laughs> and he's got this big banquet and he's just having a big party to talk about what a great guy he is, right? Yeah. And then he's like, actually, you want to know how great I am? Check out my wife. Somebody yeah. bring my wife and I want you to all see how great she is. Let's talk about that party for a second. Okay. Yeah, because hello. <laughs> it is quite a party. He is a very powerful man. Yeah. Yeah. In Esther chapter one. In fact, Vivian, do you want to read for us? I want us to picture this because this is this is quite a party. Even just <laughs> like even just those first four verses. Yeah. Um, yeah. of the book. Yes. So Chapter 1, verse 1, these events took place during the days of Ashazeris, who ruled 120 provinces from India to Kush. And I think when I saw the map, I mean, yeah. that is yeah. vast. I mean, yeah. this is a huge kingdom that he yeah. rules. 127 provinces, that's no big deal, right? <laughs> so, yes, in those days, the king, I'll just say the king, reigned mm-hmm. from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. And he held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persian media, the nobles and the officials from the provinces, he displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. Oh, <laughs> like, how humble of you. Oh, oh my oh, goodness. Is, is, that, oh is my. that six months? That's six months. Uh-huh. Wow. Just, We're just going to party and that's celebrate. That's exhausting. My greatness. For One six evening months. of like having a bunch of people over Listen, is about all I can do. Seriously. Listen, I don't yeah. know anyone who likes their birthday more than Rachel Myers. That's actually true. <laughs> yeah. I love but, Rachel. Yes. I, even that, like, we'll talk about it. It'll be, it's a topic of conversation for at least a few weeks. My birthday is in July. And oh, I, me too. And, oh, see, my Let half birthday how. was on January 10th. And I like, <laughs> entered a room, like, at the office, and there was people having a meeting as people do at the office. And I was like, oh, are you guys planning my birthday party? <laughs> like, we're six months out. She and says I'm that. Going, she says are that. planning so my birthday party on the regular. It. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so, not a humble guy. No. So I think that uh, is important for us to note. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he likes Actually, himself. Kind he likes of, his power. Yeah. Kind of a narcissist. Kind yeah. of, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. into his power, into his stuff, you know, yep. into the trophies. Yep. I mean, we're talking gold, marble, mother of pearl, precious stones. I mean, uh-huh. vast, loaded, extravagant, you know, everyone... It's a free-for-all. And like the words here, like there are no restrictions was the order. And the king ordered every wine steward in the household to serve whatever each person wanted. Like this is, yeah. it goes Open on. bar. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. that part, that part that you read. So at the end of the 180 days, so in verse five, it says at the end of this time, the king held a week long banquet in the garden courtyard of the royal palace for all the people. From the greatest to the least who were present in the fortress of Susa. So at this point, it's like you don't have to hold a position. It's just if you're here, come on. We yeah. are, yeah. you know, making merry. And I mean, that's incredible. Have you guys ever seen there's like a, I don't know, it's an old meme or something, but it's like a gold toilet. It belonged to someone famous, but like, <laughs> this is what this reminds me. Hush- right. He seems like the kind of person that would have a, golden, have a golden toilet. toilet. For now, sure. toilets weren't a thing. 
Worth, I mean, no, I mean they had, some, they had, something, something had to happen. Yeah. But <laughs> this is the absurdity of it yeah. is yes. is rings through here. Not that celebration. We have learned that celebration it's is important. That's right. Oh yes, yeah. celebration. Yes. This is yeah, debauchery. that's great. Like this, this is, is full this on. <laughs> this I picture this like spring break. break. Yeah, yeah, it's like spring break in Fort Lauderdale or whatever right. with all the crazy college students that are partying their brains out. Like, uh-huh. Except they complete, have unlimited resources. It's that, right. terrifying. In Nashville, yes. pre-pandemic, and I guess maybe still, I don't know if they still have, but they have those like pedal taverns, like where like you can be on the street I'm and you can- i that might still be a thing. And that might still be a thing, but it's just for, Party. what are you called? Bridesmaid parties. What, what are they called? Well, it could be for anyone. It's, it's not for limited anyone. to that, <laughs> but that is what they are known for. But like the one word that you just hear on the streets of Broadway is woo <laughs> all the time yeah. and that's what this party feels like just uh-huh. like a yeah. big long woo uh-huh. anyway yeah. Yeah. and so at what was supposed to be the finale yeah like you Rachel said that we you spent know, a lot of time gonna... talking about this party I'm sorry no I think it's important yeah. because I think that this is telling us not just who he is Mm-hmm. But it's important, I think, for us to know what happened for Esther to get where she, you know, to become yeah. And what she's entering into. Right. And yes. what she's entering yes. into. Yes. I think it's important. And I think that it's important because it's there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's supposed to be the finale of all of this is when he says, go get my queen. Yeah. And he doesn't mm-hmm. just say to one buddy, hey. Mm-hmm. Go get my queen. He sends seven men to get Queen Vashti and Mm -hmm. have her come in and show everyone how beautiful she is. And then verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. And that Mm -hmm. is our setup for this story. Yeah. And he's been greatly humiliated and not yes. only in front of the entire kingdom and not only does this set up our story but it also sets up a couple of the reversals that we're about to that's see that's right this banquet is a foreshadowing of another banquet in the story mm-hmm. this queen is a foreshadowing of another queen in the story queen vashti is the queen who said no and we're mm-hmm. about to meet the queen who said yes and so there's a lot to come but it's good to like kind of go back mm-hmm. there and then i mean give us like you're so familiar with this story vivian i was going to be like and now we'll tell the rest, but like I want to hear you tell the story. So, like, kind of take yeah. us through some like what happens next in chapter two. Yeah. So, really quick, back into Vashti. I wonder, like, I try to put myself sometimes when I read the scriptures and picture like what was going yeah. on, yeah. and just enter the story a little bit as I'm reading personally. And as I read the Bible as a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be drawn to the stories of women. So, you know, as much as I love King David, I resonate with the women in the Bible because I'm a woman. And as I think about Vashti and thinking about trying to walk into a frat party times (laughs) 50,000, you know, it's like that was not a safe thing to do. You know, with inebriated men. That's completely dishonoring. It's very icky. Icky, icky, icky. And I think sometimes... And also, she's host- it says she's hosting her own party. So, like, yeah, he's pulling her away from her friends. Yes, yeah. yes. But I just think that that was just... There were so many levels of how women in this story, in particular, until Esther kind of comes into her own, women are just objects. They're trophies. Um, you know, it's nothing about who she is as a person. It's just her beauty 
in this situation with Vashti, but also Esther's beauty initially too. So I just think it's the objectifying of women is kind yeah. of some of this underlying part of the story. So it's not the fairy tale that sometimes we build it up to be. So yes, um, let me interject to this is a good time, I think, to talk for just a second about scripture itself and that there are stories in scripture that are descriptive and not prescriptive. And there are, Mm -hmm. you know, lives of people in scripture. And the beauty of that is that scripture reflects our world as it is. Like it reflects, so that means it reflects back sin and the way that we have twisted God's design. So when we see things like polygamy, for example, slavery, um, Mm -hmm. things in scripture that we know Debauchery. Um, Debauchery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to recognize that just because something is in Scripture doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's condoned by God or part of God's design or to be emulated by us. We have, we won't take time to read through it, but there's an extra. If you have the Esther study book, there's an extra on page 14 called Historical Narrative in the Bible, Mm -hmm. how to to read Historical Narrative in the Bible. And one of the things that it says is that biblical narrative is often Descriptive rather than prescriptive. The examples mm-hmm. of people's choices are not always positive or meant to be followed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of other things to consider as well. But as you are about to summarize what happens next, it feels important mm-hmm. to say, yes. um, this isn't a like, don't try this. Don't try this at home. Like, <laughs> this is not necessarily something that we want to give a thumbs up. Um, yeah. And it's true because as I spend time like reading the Bible, you know, and I love this about the She Reads Truth community, you know, the commitment to stay in the scriptures, to keep the scriptures as primary, um, for us to be self-feeders and to learn. Mm -hmm. There are parts in the Bible that are hard to stomach. I mean, they are disturbing. I just finished Judges. I'm in 1 Samuel right now. And it's just like, oh, boy, it is just— a lot. And there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, truly, as we look around, you know, the dumpster fire that is, was, you Mm -hmm. know. So basically, (laughs) our narcissistic king eventually sobers out and feels sad that he banished his first queen. And so the council comes together and says, okay, let's just go and find a replacement for you. So not like our American, you know, Miss America pageant. This is actually kind of scary to me, you know, to go Mm -hmm. around finding beautiful virgins. They will all be sleeping with this king. This is the way. So again, it's one of those things with Esther. I wonder, like, what was going on with Esther and her relationship with Yahweh? You know, I mean, was Mm -hmm. she grieving still the loss of her parents? Was that something that was unresolved in her life? I mean, we can you know, think about all those things, but she's being swept away into this very scary situation where she's being, on one hand, we read it and it sounds like a wonderful spa experience, a year of like soaking <laughs> and then a year of like oils, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. but it's all to prepare to be with this king. So, you know, in her heritage, she knows that this is not what God would have. The foods that yeah. she's eating are probably not the ones that would be kosher to her. There's all of these conflicting things I imagine going on with her, but she's also, as Rachel had pointed out, you know, she's listening to her, the counsel of her cousin, 
and she's trying to go with what's going on. But she is selected, and God's so cool thing, and that is mentioned several times, is that God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but right. his hand of providence is over all of it. And so the fact that Esther right. would have the favor of the head concubine to yep. kind of help coach her to learn, that is God's hand working in unexpected ways. And so what happens is, she is selected, and uh, Mordecai is also in a position of leadership as well, so much so that he overhears an assassination attempt. And this is one of the little plot twist things where he overhears this assassination attempt by these eunuchs and tells Esther. Esther, they go figure it out, and they realize it was a real threat. Yeah. And then it's like nothing, not even a fruit basket. For right. like it's just the like, only thing that we get is are we in chapter two? It says yeah. um, this event at the very last verse. This event was recorded in the historical record in the king's presence. Mm-hmm. This thing that like Mordecai overhears a plot tells Esther the king's life is saved, and they're yeah. like, yeah, that happened. And then they just kind of yeah. move on. Not even a fruit basket. I like that. Not even yeah. a fruit basket. And this is where I kind of want to pause because I wonder how many of us, as we're going through our days, we serve without seeing. Like we choose to do the right thing. But we may not actually experience the initial reward of that. Mm -hmm. And I think how many times are we, you know, bringing a meal over to someone who's sick or, you know, trying to encourage someone in the midst of their hard times or we pay for the Starbucks drink behind us or whatever we're doing that we're seeking to to love and do the right thing. And we may not be rewarded immediately. And Mm -hmm. that that place of having to trust the Lord, I think, can be a real challenge for us sometimes if we want to see the immediate. Yeah. And I think that's where the hope of heaven, when all of it will be revealed, for all of the people who have an incredible ministry of intercession, we'll see how it all worked together and wow. God will reward it all. But I think this example of Mordecai doing the right thing and not being rewarded initially, like we, you know, We'll do the, you know, the plot twists and all that stuff later. But I think how disappointing that must have been, you know, to not get any kind of recognition except for that it was recorded. Also, maybe he was just like, that's our king. That's just how he is. You know, like, I'm going to do the right thing and is what it is. It's interesting, especially in this book, like you just kind of alluded to, like there's something's going to happen because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just that like that thing that is true that God is often designing our deliverance before man or the enemy can devise our destruction. Like he's just there. And so at first blush for Mordecai, it's just like, well, this is the thing that happened. But like, it's such an important piece of what is going to happen. Yes. It's beautiful. It gives me hope as a believer to know that nothing is haphazard and that in the midst of even the hardest things that God's purposes will be accomplished. And we have an invitation to draw near to the Lord. We could also shake our fist at Him, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think in our faith journey, we have opportunities to respond. But even in the hardest times and even when things don't seem fair, that we can trust that Our God is a God who is good and faithful and just and loving Mm -hmm. and all of that. So nothing's haphazard. And that, I think, is really something that I can hold to as I read Esther. And then we get to chapter three. Now, wait a minute. I need to hear your feelings. Oh, you're going to get them. We haven't gotten to the part yet. Oh, Oh, we've gotten to the part where he says, don't reveal your... right." Just, who you are. I have feelings oh, about the if I perish, I perish part. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. thought you had feelings. 
I thought you had feelings about Mordecai because Mordecai is very protective of Esther. Yes. yes. And in chapter two, it says that Esther didn't reveal her ethnicity or her family background because, because Mordecai yeah. had ordered mm-hmm. her not to make them known. And then I think this is tender. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in mm. front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. Oh. Um, so he was I around. That. Yeah, yeah, he was around. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, I just didn't want to skip them. Oh, I appreciate that. I like it when you have good feelings <laughs> I and I want to hear them. Hey, friends, Amanda here. I want to take a moment to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, August Cloth. Here's the thing. Finding clothes that fit like a dream and have effortless style can feel like hunting for a unicorn. Sure, I want to look cute and put together, but I also want my clothes to feel like me. And thanks to the adventure that was 2020, I now insist on being comfortable at all times. That's why I'm genuinely excited to introduce you to August Cloth, an online clothing boutique that offers curated styles and true-to-life try-on videos, so you can find a look you love in the size that's right for you. And as an adoptive mama, I love that the owner of August Cloth and fellow She Who Reads Truth, Crystal, is also dedicated to using their business to support adoptees, birth families, and adoptive families. But back to the clothes. Crystal and her team chose some styles for us to try. And I'll be honest, they have me pegged. This week alone, I've worn the Angie Knit sweater and the Cora Colorblock sweater, which Rachel has already threatened to borrow slash steal. And the gals in the office complimented me on both. And I was comfortable. Cute and comfortable. This is the goal. August Cloth is giving Shiri's Truth Podcast listeners 15% off your purchase at augustcloth.com just by using the code SRT15 at checkout. The code only lasts until March 7th, so be sure to shop before then. Also, if you want to keep up with their new arrivals, you can follow August Cloth on Instagram or Facebook at August Cloth. New arrivals drop every Thursday, and you know they're doing these try-on videos as each item releases. So go to augustcloth.com and use code SRT15 for 15% off, now through March 7th. Hey friends, Rachel here. I want to take a minute to tell you about apartment life. Did you know that 95% of people living in apartments aren't connected to a local church? Apartment Life shows God's love to apartment residents in real, tangible ways, opening the door to connect them to the local church and ultimately to share the gospel with people who might never hear it from someone else. We just aren't meant to stay isolated, and Apartment Life does so much to bring people together. Apartment Life pairs hosts with apartment residents to host events, build community, and care for fellow residents in times of need. Even virtual events can make a huge difference to help people feel connected. Those experiences can open the door to meet people right where they are with the hope of the gospel. Apartment Life has connected more than 65,000 residents with a local church over the last 20 years, and they are making more connections every day. So if you're passionate about loving your neighbors and you love to throw a good virtual party, visit apartmentlife.org slash truth to find out how you can become a host. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay, so then we get to chapter three, and things are like, I mean, if the ball was kind of like rolling, now it's kind of Mm -hmm. picking up momentum in the plot. And so this is where Haman and Mordecai first have their like, and so we, we meet Haman, and if you even, and I think this is true, tell me if I'm wrong, if you even asked a Jewish person today, who is the enemy of the Jews? 
their answer would mm. be Haman. Like that's he's classically known as the enemy of the yeah. Jews. If this were a play, he would be booed every time he comes on stage. Boo. Boo. Every yes. time. Yeah. He, so and it, he's clearly boo worthy. Like because even his first like even his first moment of like, wait a second, Mordecai won't bow down to me. Mm-hmm. And again, teeing up for another reversal. Just wait for yeah. it. But like, hold on, Mordecai won't bow down. I'm so mad. Not only do I want to kill Mordecai, no, no, I want to kill every Jewish person in all 127 provinces because I've been disrespected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and that sounds like you're making that up, and that's exactly, that is the exactly. story. Exactly, and he's going to, yeah. And I think that, I mean, he's such a match to the king. Like, yeah. the king deserves him, and he deserves the king. Like, it's <laughs> right. just like, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean? It's like there's so much into the pride and the power-hungry positioning, the need to be recognized and worshipped, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is what's driving his whole hatred. Yes. And it's just mind-boggling to me. But this is exactly... You know, and they out. continue to butt like these oh. these guys are like Mordecai's not backing down nope. and Haman <laughs> is going to double down. So what happens almost immediately is that Haman goes to the king and he's like, hey, listen, you may or may not know like there's a large Jewish population in Persia mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they don't really follow the same laws that we follow. And so really, it's kind of a threat. Like it's this is not good. I'm going to pay you, king. And like a different translations um, yes. say different amounts, 375 tons of silver. Some translations say, what is it? 10,000 talents. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we know, like I've looked this up, it's two thirds of the annual income of the Persian empire. Oh my goodness. So Haman was loaded. He's loaded. Well, and here's, and so I like kind of dug into that too. I was like, wow, why did Haman have that much money? Why wasn't he Mm -hmm. the king? So I think it was sort of an investment opportunity because Mm. even like the language of like that the money has been given and received, from what I've read, and I might be wrong on this, mm-hmm. so, you know, disclaimer, is that there was this promise that by not only eradicating the population mm-hmm. of Jews, um, they would plunder. And so right. that's where the profit would come. Yes, yes. From the plundering of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, and the king's like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Not only that, and also, like, I'll take your money, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's my signet ring. Go ahead and write whatever edict. Like, here's my power. Yeah, I yeah. erode in the margins of that. Like, why? Why would Settle you just down. say, sure, I'll let you do that. Just write it down yourself. It's fine. Like, it feels so apathetic. Well, he did just king. spend six months partying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh like, gosh. I wonder if he just wasn't really about the governmental business. I wonder if that wasn't his strong suit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because, I mean, there's stories heard of, like, the king having such an issue. Like, he was so mad during one of his conquests. So if anyone's ever watched the movie 300, I haven't seen it, but it's something that my husband would probably watch. But it's basically the story <laughs> where where the king loses, you know, okay. and anyway, with one of the major battles. So he's really bummed out. Like, yeah. this is like, he's moody, he's volatile, and he's swayed so quickly by his advisors. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the part where it's like, he's not necessarily thinking for the good of his kingdom or the good of the people in his kingdom. I mean, it really is. It's all about me, you know? So I think even with Haman, it's like, you know, his offering to do this, he doesn't care about the livelihood of people in his kingdom. It's like, okay, if this is going to increase the bottom line, you know, yada, yada, whatever. People are, again, it's like 
the valuing of people, the valuing of the queens. It's everyone just, is disposable. People, everyone is disposable. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I'm here for me. And then we get verse 13 in chapter 3, which kind of summarizes like what's happening. It says, letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to, and I remember as I read this that Mordecai is our author possibly. But it's not just one word. He uses three. Letters were sent telling all the officials to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. So like, this isn't just a like, go plunder or just go kill the men. This is kill everybody. This is genocide. This is total genocide. A hundred percent, which we're about to get to some real confident statements from Mordecai. And Mm -hmm. this I think is because Mordecai knows his Bible. Like he knows God's promise to father Abraham that God will protect that nation. Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, Meanwhile, I want want to (laughs) pause to read one of the supplemental passages that we have. And that that you just read, Rachel, is from day three of our reading plan. Yeah. We're in Esther 3. And in the reading plan in the study book, we've paired Psalm 68, some of the verses from Psalm 68, with this reading. And I just want to read a little bit from it because while all of this is happening, so this picture is bleak, bleak, dark, a very, you know, evil people in power, evil people advising them. Yeah. No care for this entire population yeah. mm-hmm. um, of people. But this is who God is, even then. Mm. Um, and this is Psalm 68, 5 and 6. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. And then it just, I mean, it just keeps going like, God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the desert, the earth trembled and the skies poured rain before God, the God of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. And I mean, it just praising the Lord for who he is. And that is the story of Esther is that humans will do what they're going to do in their, you know, our, not their, our, I'm mm-hmm. one too, <laughs> our <laughs> bent to sin and pride and greed and revenge, like all of those things, they are, they are in us and they mm-hmm. will be revealed in us. But, hmm. but God is always who he is. And so even in this really compelling, feels like a fairy tale story of Esther, what you said at the beginning, Vivian, is that even though we don't hear God's name, we don't hear Yahweh's name in this story, mm-hmm. we can see if we put on our Bible lens, like our gospel lens, where we believe that this is the God who is making all things new, right? Mm-hmm. That we can see his hand working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the reasons I love the supplemental passages just in general. It really adds a layer of understanding on a different level what's happening. Yeah. We get all these letters, and they're being sent out in everybody's tongue. Everyone is going to know to attack the Jewish people. So not only are the Jews receiving this letter, but everyone is receiving that, like, this is the plan. And, you know, the last verse of chapter three, it says, you know, the couriers left spurred on by the royal command and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was in confusion. And then verse one of chapter four, when Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes 
put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. And it's Mm. interesting here, so many things. But number one, we get lament. His response is lament before the Lord. So much so that it actually precludes him from being able to go to Esther because wearing sackcloth means he can't get close enough to her to Uh tell her what's happening. So what happens in chapter four ends up being a game of telephone. Yeah. Well, and if that's not a metaphor, I mean, that when you're in mourning, it can be so isolating. Yeah. You know, and I've thought of that as reading that. I just, that's a detail that I just don't remember from the story. And this time reading it, that part that the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. Mm. We just, we like to keep grief at arm's reach, you know, like you stay out there, like we're going to pretend like everything's fine. And here we're having a drink. Like out here, you wear your sackcloth and ashes. And so I just, nothing new under the sun. And not only was Mordecai sad, they were afraid. Like we also get, there was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict reached. They fasted wept and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. They had just heard that there was an appointed day where they would all be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. Annihilated, is the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that we sometimes, it's interesting. I've been um, listening to a book on tape on how we sometimes read the Bible with Western eyes, Western lenses. And it's so fascinating to me because in this example for North America, when we read, for example, the prodigal son story in Luke 15, we are focused on the son who's, you know, losing his father's inheritance and all of that. And people from other countries are focused on the famine, like mm. the famine. And most of us like miss that as a, a little minor detail. And when I think about the fear of fearing for our lives, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that it lands completely with us in North America the same right. way yeah. as, for example, having spent a couple summers in Rwanda where there was a genocide. And seeing, just entering into that story in the Rwanda Museum to understand what that was like to face annihilation and the fear of that. I mean, I don't think that that type of horror is something that we've necessarily experienced ourselves. And in North America, we're just not really good with pain. Like, we really don't deal well with pain. And so we have not the kind of same tolerance, I think, that some of our brothers and sisters have around the world when it comes to the steadfast, long-suffering that sometimes is required. And I think about even in Hebrews 11 with the Hall of Faith and all of these incredible heroes of the faith, but not all of them were delivered at the end of chapter 11. Some of them were sawn in two, and some of the, so it's even in the midst of this, the story could have gone completely different, and that's where there are parts in the Old Testament that it went different, and the, yeah. the happily ever after didn't happen, and I think that that's cause for us to pause at times, too, that just because it turns out well doesn't mean that that's necessarily, if our stories don't turn out the way we think they should turn out, it doesn't mean that God isn't still loving and caring and with us. And we don't even see the end of the story. So in the midst of our, and I'm thinking of your listeners too, if you're in the middle of a desert time and a time Mm -hmm. of pain physically, emotionally, relationally, that that's not the whole story. Yes. There's so much lament. And I think our nation right now with COVID and the racial disparities and all of that, 
we are dealing with grief upon grief upon grief. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and the response that God gives is actually so beautiful that lament is a way that you can't deal unless you feel. Yeah. Hey, and I think in preach. that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like we, <laughs> instead of numbing out, if we can move into and actually yeah. feel, you know, Mordecai and all of the Jewish people here who are, are lamenting, that is actually a healthy biblical way to come at injustice and yeah. come at pain and and loss and all of that. So I think one of the hardest parts right now for me with the situation with COVID is that people who have died from COVID have died alone and the family members and friends who are left are not able to gather together yeah, to mourn yeah. and remember. And there's a disconnect there. So I feel like in the future, we're going to have to kind of revisit some of those things because that's just part of our human experience. So, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting even to see, and again, like we've talked about, like, you know, who is this Esther? Like, how is she handling life in the palace? How is she under, mm-hmm. handling her position? And so even when we see that, you know, Everyone who has heard the news is fasting, weeping, lamenting. And the news gets to Esther, and it says that she was overcome with fear and that she sent clothes to Mordecai to change out of his sackcloth. And he refuses them. And he's just like, no, 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 this is hard. And so it's just a little little interesting detail to just notice about Esther. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. not sure what to make of that. I don't need to draw a conclusion, but something to notice. Yes. Um, and then this, like I said, this game of telephone of, you know, she's going like, change clothes and come here. And he's like, no, this, I am in, sa- mm-hmm. this is a sackcloth moment for me. I'm not ready. Um, and so they do have to communicate by way of, I think, one of the eunuchs. And so then, you know, he says, tell Esther this, command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. And Mm -hmm. her response, okay, you know, like I've received that message, tell Mordecai this. She says, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. And she says, unless the king extends his golden scepter, allowing that person to live. And Mordecai, I haven't been summoned. So like, I'm going to die if I do that. Yep. So she's kind of going like, Mordecai, no. And then... She has her own threat of death She has when a, in the mid, yes. middle of this And so other this is where we death. get to Rachel's hot take. So this game of telephone, she says, Mordecai, you don't understand. I can't go to the king. Like, I would mm-hmm. die. Yeah. And his response in verse 13, Vivian, will you read 13 sure. and yes. 14? So Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your family's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Okay, so this is where... I think because right after that, she's like, all right, listen, I'll do it. If I perish, I perish. I think on one hand, I'm grateful that she, you know, has this moment of finally just going like, hey, if I perish, I perish. But also, I think Mordecai just kind of makes pretty clear to her like, hey, kiddo, you're not safe just because you're in the palace. Mm-hmm. You're going to perish either way. You're going to yeah, perish yeah. either way. If we don't um, do this. Whether you go to the king and risk your life, whether you hang tight and quiet, somebody's going to figure it out. Your family for sure is all going to die. So I would say you're going to die either way. Why not risk your life? And so I think that I get less. 
I just get a little bit less like impressed by Esther. And I don't know if that's like such a horrible hot take to have. But like the reality is she's between a rock and a hard place. And she does make the right choice in an impossible choice. But also, and I am grateful, but what I really like isn't Esther. What I love is Mordecai. And he's saying that line where he says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish mm-hmm. people from another place. I mean, so his faith. confidence is not in right. Esther. It's mind-blowing to me. His confidence is not in... Yeah. Esther is not his savior. He's going, hey, you have an opportunity to help step into that. If you don't, God is going to save his people. I know the promises. I know the Abrahamic covenant. Like God is going to protect his people. Would you yeah. like to come along? Yeah, yeah. There's an invitation I think that we all have to either sit on the sidelines and observe or actually enter in and engage. And I think the entering in and engaging causes our head knowledge to become heart knowledge. We begin to experience that intimacy with the Lord. I think that for me, the her response of if I perish, I perish really, again, is the surrendered posture. I think you're right. And, And I think in that way, I've noticed in my own life that sometimes the Bible can be so dry to me because I'm holding on to my will and my ways. And when I actually release that to the Lord and I just say, okay, whatever you have, I'm down for, all of a sudden it's like the Bible is so alive and I'm watching for God and I'm seeing Him come out and come through in really remarkable ways. And so I think that that's where there's something really significant about each of us as believers and as a community of believers um, living out the sense that we're on mission. We are on assignment. We have a purpose, you know, all of it. So, yeah. 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 I think you're absolutely right, though, Vivian. Like, there is such an invitation for every one of us to participate in the, the work that the Lord is going to do with or without us, but mm-hmm. we get to be invited to participate in something. We can't thwart the Lord's plans. I think that's what yeah. we're learning here, that God will work and we can participate. I don't like. Well, yeah. Is that how you would say it, Amanda? I think so. And I don't know, you know, it's really interesting. And I feel like it's something that we could talk about this one particular point yeah. for quite a while. But because, because I, even I, as I say this, it's like with not 100% confidence in like that my opinion is the right opinion. Well, I mean, and it's not, this <laughs> is more than one thing can be true yeah. about this interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we do see Mordecai in his wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, because he's Esther's guardian. Like yeah. he has been her caregiver and her father figure. Her father figure and yeah. he is saying to her, he is teaching her what he knows to be true of his God mm-hmm. um, without even saying, I mean, that will preach like without even saying his name, yeah. like, like he knows what he knows, what he knows. And I don't know that he's saying no one will die. Like right. God's going to save all the people. Like I think Mordecai, his lens is backed up. He's zoomed out and he's seeing, okay, what I know is true is that Yahweh is who he says he is. He's our deliverer. And so, yeah. This complete annihilation of the Jewish people, it cannot and will not happen. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, a lot of times we talk about language of like God rescuing and stuff. And even if we go back to the topic of our own mourning and grief and Vivian, I know you deal with so much of that and um, and you're writing just your own experiences that like even in those situations that our head immediately as 
you know, North American Christians, our head goes to, oh, so I'm going to be completely healed or my pain's going to be taken away or this person's not going to die or whatever, you know, I'm going to get that miracle. And I think our vision is too small, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of times. And so, yeah, I mean, this is so, but what I was going to say is in that with Mordecai being that kind of mentor and father figure for Esther, that it demonstrates to me, I think you're both right, because I think, Rachel, what it shows us is that it shows me the power of the church and our relationships with one another, that Mordecai's role was just as crucial as Esther's, Mm -hmm. that Mordecai was saying to her, but don't you see, let me help you remember what what we know to be true, because Esther And we need people to remind us. We need Mm -hmm. that. Because that is not the narrative where Esther is in her current reality. Yeah. Think, right, think about right. what we know about this king and his palace, and oh yeah, um, and, and how, how disposable even, people are, right? And yeah, how exactly. she got there, and so they probably this is, had people die. That's right. right. Yeah. And yeah. so for Mordecai to say those things and to help her see that, and then for her to make that decision to once again do what Mordecai is asking of her because she trusts him, and I think it's really powerful. I think it's both things. I think what's so interesting too is I feel like Esther kind of comes alive because then she's giving Mordecai instructions as well like yeah you're right tell everyone to fast yep like every single person fast and pray for me for three Mm -hmm. days I mean there's a dependence on the Lord on Yahweh Mm -hmm. and there's actually like this switch around like okay I'm also going to give you instruction now we're going to do this and we're doing this together. So she wasn't going to be going into the king's presence by herself. I think that there's a sense that collectively all the Jewish people are in this together and it may not turn out very well because they're in exile. I mean, they they were living in a time when the Jews were taken away, you know, the kingdom was divided. I mean, there's just all sorts of turmoil where what they thought was going to happen wasn't necessarily happening. And so yeah. it's there's that Mordecai understands that history from the time of Abraham and, you know, all of that. It's building, but there's also been disobedience by the Israelites, which has resulted in all sorts of chaos and living out the consequences of that, that they are now in this other kingdom, you know, so there's so many layers. And I think what's amazing to me is that God sees all of it and he navigates with us through all of it. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's where it was pretty powerful to me that Esther would be able to turn around and kind of just hold her head a little higher. Like I, I am To be reminded of what is true. Yes. To be reminded of Yahweh. And when you're in the palace, you need somebody to remind you of Yahweh because I bet it was easy to forget. And so that's the first four days of this week's reading. Like we've just talked about Esther chapters one through four. On Friday, uh, we'll read chapter five and we are going to read about Esther doing the brave thing. Like she goes into the courtroom of like, and it's interesting that little detail right at the beginning, it says she's dressed in her royal clothing, which is such a like contrast to all the other Jewish people in their mm. sackcloth, and she has to dress in her royal clothing. Mm. And she goes in, and scripture says that the scepter is extended to her. And she yeah. is, it's this like two step process, though, because, like, okay, Esther is safe, but that's the, only the beginning. Yes. And that's where we'll leave off for next week, <gasps> which <Cliffhanger! laughs> is what happens when he says, Hey, what do you want? Up to half mm-hmm. my kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's where we 
leave off. Ah, it is a little bit. It is a little a bit. Cliffhanger. If you're binging yeah. the Sherry Truth podcast, you're going to be fine. Because <laughs> we'll just go right into it. This is why I love the story. Every time I read this book, there's so many things to talk about because we've talked about a great number of themes in this hour, but the theme of favor mm-hmm. and how that plays a role in Esther's story. And maybe we'll try and get to that next week. <laughs> yeah, next week. This is only a two-week series. So next week, we'll finish the book of Esther with um, Lydia Brownback. She has written a Bible study, several Bible studies, but one of them on the book of Esther. And so we're excited to get her take and learn some things from her. But Vivian, it is a delight to open God's Word with you today. Thank you for just, I feel like we've only just kind of scratched the surface. And so I, and even of just the things that you've been sharing with us about the way that you resonate with the book. So tell us the book title again, Open Hands. Willing Heart. Willing Heart. Yes. And, oh, and we'll um, link to that in the show notes because yeah. like, you'll be able to look at it and get you a copy. So if you want to do a deeper dive into uh, Viv's relationship with the Book of Esther, and yeah. um, that's the place to go for that. And so, But just what a delight to see your face and talk about God's Word with you. Thank you. Oh, well, this has been such a joy and worth waking up early for because I'm yes. in Southern California. <laughs> yes, two <laughs> so, hours earlier than us. Oh, my goodness. You're so, yes. like, awake looking. I Way know. <laughs> coffee and Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus I, love, Amen. I love it. <laughs> Amen. Well, like Amanda said, next week we're going to cover the final week of our Esther series. But then right after that, starting February 15th, is the beginning of our Lent series. And so we're going to read the book of Joshua together as a community. Uh, Another great Old Testament book. Cannot wait. And then we'll finish our Lent series with the book of Mark. So those are some things to look ahead to. But until then, until next week, Vivian, what do we say? Keep opening your Bible. Keep opening your Bible.